Come now, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come and overrule and overwhelm. Overrule and overwhelm these words that are spoken and these words that are heard, that they may be in accordance with the word of God and given for the glory of God. Come, Holy Spirit, and use this, this word, to transform our lives. Help us to see Jesus, to know him more, and be his ministers to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus was busy on the day of his resurrection. Not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but Jesus revealed himself alive over the course of the day to his friends and to his followers. He even took a seven-mile walk with two disciples, as we read this morning from Luke chapter 24. And if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 24 as we look at this account of this Emmaus experience. Here in Luke chapter 24, we're going to look at essentially three things. As we look together at this passage, we're looking together at this idea that the risen Jesus is found or is revealed first through Scripture. And then we'll look together and we'll see in two different kind of ways that the risen Jesus is found in the breaking of bread. On the one hand, the the breaking of bread being simple fellowship, companionship, and on the other hand, the breaking of bread being the sacramental action. And so uh, this morning, if you walk out of here in the next, uh, having listened to this extensive and amazing sermon over the next uh, several minutes, yeah, if you haven't, uh, if you hear nothing else, I'd like for you to understand that the risen Jesus is found in Scripture and in the breaking of bread, and that should instruct us. We should understand some important things from this fact. The risen Jesus is found in Scripture and the breaking of bread. Let's first talk about the context of this chapter, of this this passage, this this experience of the resurrection Jesus. that, That very day, two disciples... We're going from a village named Emmaus to, or sorry, going towards a village named Emmaus from the city of Jerusalem. Luke tells us, St. Luke tells us, that's about a seven-mile journey. Now, these two men were disciples, but they were not part of Jesus' most immediate group of 12 minus Judas, now 11. We have to recognize something about these two men. Even though they weren't part of the twelve, they were followers of Jesus nonetheless, and they had witnessed not only the events of his life and ministry, but they had been witnesses to the events within the city of Jerusalem over the course of that Passover. Maybe they were on their way home to Emmaus, certainly, as Luke tells us. They were trying to understand the trauma of the few days previous as they walked together. We know how this is. You experience something that is heartbreaking or amazing or uh, just incredibly mind-blowing, and you have to talk about it with other people who have experienced that, right? Anna and I have talked about the, the, the birth of our two children. I'm sure you've done the same thing. We've, we've talked about how the Patriots are amazing and keep winning Super Bowls. And we've talked about... We're still hurt, I see. It's just... 
So they're talking about this, trying to, to wade through this. They're sad, St. Luke tells us. And when the risen Jesus joined them in their journey, he carefully states their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And what wonderful irony here. Uh, Cleopas and his friend have to tell Jesus, the one who experienced everything firsthand, what had happened over the few days in Jerusalem. These two men, these two disciples, brokenhearted because of Jesus' death, they most likely were disillusioned, puzzled, doubting even. They walked along with this stranger who seemed to be ignorant of the events. As Cleopas and his companion explained, they were sad, they were disappointed because Jesus had died. They had been following him as a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And more to the point, Cleopas says they had hoped Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. They'd expected, they had hoped for Jesus to overthrow the Roman oppressors, to come in and form an army and deliver the people of Israel into a new era of freedom and to, and to establish a new kingdom. They had entered into the city of Jerusalem with joy, with hope, with expectation. They'd been following Jesus for probably some time, looking for him to raise up an army, become a general and overthrow the Romans. And then all of a sudden, Jesus died. It was now, in fact, the third day since his crucifixion. And as Jesus died, the, the possibility of a messianic deliverance, the possibility that he would overthrow Rome, the possibility that their hopes would be fulfilled, that apparently died with him. But then something weird happens, right? That very morning, something unusual was reported. Something uh, crazy was developing. To their grief and disappointment has now been added a twist of, of hope as the tomb of Jesus has been retorted, reported empty. Some of the women were a part of their company. They didn't see the body, and in fact, they'd seen angels. Some of the men, the disciples, also went and found the tomb empty. They didn't understand. This was common enough, a common enough reaction to Jesus and the events of that week. And so what we see here. These two disciples confused, these two disciples disillusioned, these two disciples puzzled, these two disciples with misunderstanding, Jesus comes alongside them in simple fellowship, companions with them, and he unfolds scripture to them. And in this Emmaus experience, these two disciples find Jesus in the scriptures and in the breaking of the bread. He said to them in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Cleopas and his friend didn't, still didn't recognize Jesus. But Jesus began to unfold to explain the why that lies behind the events of the week, the why of the crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus begins to show them that it was necessary by Scripture. And this ought to be instructive for us, I think. Let me see if I can explain that a bit. St. Paul, 
writing to the young pastor Timothy, states, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, turned to Scripture. And Paul says that Scripture is profitable precisely because, fundamentally, Scripture is about Jesus. It points toward Jesus through direct prophecies. You can find in the Old Testament a host of direct prophecies about the Messiah, whether we're talking about Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 52 or 53, Daniel chapter 9, Zechariah chapter 14, whether we're talking about Psalm 2, Psalm 122, Psalm 118, can I go on? Yes, but whether we're talking about direct prophecies that only Jesus fulfills or we're talking about shadows and types like the tabernacle, as Hebrews tells us, is a pointing towards Jesus or the sacrificial system, as Hebrews tells us, points towards Jesus, or the uh, Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain points toward Jesus. Dan, uh, David in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, as he kills the giant, points us towards Jesus. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 points us towards Jesus. The whole of the scriptures point us towards Jesus. And so why does Jesus turn to the scriptures from Moses and all the prophets all the way through when he encounters confusion on the road to Emmaus? Because it is fundamentally about him. Fundamentally, it's about Jesus. Pastor Mark Mark Bullmore has put it uh, this way. The entire Old Testament is pregnant with the message of the Bible. In other words, we could say that the Old Testament is pregnant with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel in the Old Testament is in utero. And so Jesus takes these disciples on a guided tour of the Old Testament and interprets his own life, his own death, his own resurrection through those scriptures, through Moses, through the prophets, through all of the Old Testament, that they might understand that these things were necessary, that they too might understand the Jesus event in uh, in terms of God's revelation throughout the course of scripture even without their knowing who it was that taught them, they were led to Scripture so that they may realize that all that had happened, Jesus' life, his miracles, Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem, his betrayal at the hand of Judas, his arrest, his sham trial, his suffering, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, all of that was part of the plan that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that Jesus is still the Messiah who has entered into his glory to rule and to reign. The risen Jesus takes us to the scripture because in the scripture, the risen Jesus is found. And this ought to be instructive for us. This helps us to see just how important Scripture is for life in Jesus. Folks, the reality for us is that we're far more like those who, uh, that Jesus talks about in John chapter 20 when he says to Thomas, you have believed, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. And then John says in a few verses later, I have written all of these things so that you may believe. There is an intimate and close connection to the level of our belief, the strength of our faith, and the time that we spend within the Word of God, because the Word of God points us to Jesus. 
And if we're not spending time in the word of God, how well are we really understanding who Jesus is? How well are we really understanding our Lord and our Savior? We never grow outside of Scripture. We only grow in Scripture. There is a reason why when we gather for corporate worship, we preach from the Scripture. I don't preach from a biography of George Patton. I preach from the Scriptures of Jesus. There's a reason why we don't preach uh, the gospel according to uh, Lord of the Rings, even though I use them as illustrations. There's a reason why we don't preach uh, the gospel according to the, the Harry Potter series. It's because Jesus is found bound in the 66 books, and he's released through the 66 books to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So on the one hand, this should be instructive for us because we too need to be in the scriptures. On the other hand, it is instructive for us because quite frankly, folks, we don't have anything to offer this dying world other than what the book contains. We don't have anything to offer this world except the story of Jesus in Scripture. The Scriptures are God's life-giving word primarily because in the Scriptures, the risen Jesus is found. He is pointed forward to, he is revealed, and then he is pointed backwards to as he is once again pointed forwards to. The risen Jesus is found for those who believe and for those who do not yet believe. So before they recognized Jesus as Jesus, these two disciples from Luke 24 were pointed to the scriptures to find him and understand him. And then things escalate in a hurry because Jesus breaks bread. They finally arrive near Emmaus and Cleopas and his friend urged Jesus to stay the night with them to enjoy a, a meal and find rest Probably this is them just doing the hospitality thing of that day and age, but I think also they want to hear more from him. They say to one another near the end of this experience, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us and while he opened to us the scriptures? My hunch is that they, yes, wanted to be hospitable to him, but they also wanted to hear more from him. And so they welcome him to table. And at table fellowship, the risen Jesus was revealed in the breaking of bread. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Now, our minds, as we read this passage, our minds probably jump right to the Last Supper from a few nights before, right? Hang on to that. Put a pin in it. Because we have to remember that these two men probably weren't present at that meal. It may not have meant much to them to recognize what Jesus was doing, but they had most likely been present when Jesus took bread and broke it and blessed it and fed the, feed, the crowd of 5,000. And so this feeding of 5,000 was a major event in the life and ministry of Jesus. Each of the Gospels report it. Luke chapter 9 says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave to the disciples to set before the crowd. In Luke's gospel account, immediately after the breaking of bread, the blessing and the breaking of bread, Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ. 
And immediately after that, Jesus is transfigured. In John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000 leads to Jesus to proclaim, I am the bread of life. And Luke tells us that the blessing and breaking of bread with that event, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Something in what Jesus does opens their eyes to who he is. And I want to press this because I think it's instructive for us. I don't know that we can claim that Jesus celebrated the Last Supper here with Cleopas and his friends. I don't know that we can claim he celebrated communion, what we call the Eucharist. Luke doesn't mention wine being present, nor does Luke mention any words of institution. And so I think what we need to see here is is simply this. Jesus makes himself known in simple table fellowship. He makes himself known by being physically present to these men. And we can't miss the fact that throughout this Emmaus experience, Jesus became a companion to Cleopas and the other. And maybe we can say it this way, simple fellowship or fellowship was the context through which Jesus revealed himself. He came alongside these disciples who were struggling. He joined them in their journey. He companioned them, and he revealed himself. Now, I may be pressing the point beyond the scriptures here, but I can't help but consider this. If Jesus reveals himself in the breaking of bread, in the context of companionship and fellowship, and if we as disciples are called to point toward Jesus... Is the context of companionship and fellowship one that we too ought to pursue? I think the answer to that is yes. The need for fellowship is huge for believers to be with believers. In our simple fellowship together, Jesus can be found. Remember his words in Matthew 18, wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. But this also has a mission purpose. Believers need to be in fellowship with non-believers. If Jesus reveals himself by being with people, then it seems to me at least that Jesus' people ought to point toward Jesus by being with people. And this is what I would call a context of invitation, a context of fellowship, a context of companionship, so that Jesus might be revealed by physically being present to one who, like the disciples on the road, don't yet know with clarity who Jesus is. Fellowship. Now, while we can't say or claim with certainty that Jesus was celebrating the Lord's Supper here, I have to admit that my mind automatically takes me there. Perhaps your mind did also. We must remember that it was within the context of the aftermath of feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6 that Jesus proclaims, I am the bread of life. If anyone eats of this bread, he will, give, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Maybe that's where Cleopas and his friend, maybe that's where their mind took them uh, when Jesus blessed and broke the bread to that statement where he says, I am the bread of life. And suddenly they realized in whose presence they sat. 
Suddenly they realize the stranger with whom they have been talking, suddenly they realize that the one who had taught them, the one who was now feeding them, was the very one who fed a crowd of 5,000, the very one who was crucified, the very one who was said to be alive, sitting alive among them. And they see it in the breaking of the bread. Jesus, when he took bread, he had given thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus makes it incredibly clear to us from John chapter 6, from Luke chapter 23, that Jesus makes it so pretty clear that he was to be found in connection to bread and wine within the fellowship of one another. The point is, the risen Jesus is made known through the Lord's Supper as his victory is celebrated, as his grace is received. And as a sacrament, that which the catechism defines as an outward and visible sign of inward and spiritual grace, the Lord's Supper is used by God to create, strengthen, and confirm our faith in Him. This necessarily means that the risen Lord is found in His spiritual presence in the breaking of bread. This whole Emmaus experience ought to be instructive for us. We see here that the risen Jesus is made known through the Scriptures. And we see our need to be in the scriptures. And we see the content of what we have to share with others. We see that the risen Jesus is made known in the context of fellowship and companionship. And we see our need to be together in worship and service. And we see our need to be with others. We see that the risen Jesus is made known in the breaking of bread. We see our need to encounter him in the sacrament. This Emmaus experience is instructive for us as we seek to be the church, glorifying God by blessing people with gospel ministries, that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom. This Emmaus experience is instructive in this way. We may worry that we don't have the words to say. We may worry that we can't explain Jesus. We may worry that we aren't persuasive. Well, when Jesus explained his crucifixion and resurrection to Cleopas and his companion, he turned to Scripture. So maybe what we need to be worrying about is how well we know Scripture as opposed to what technique we may use or argument we may have. Not only have we been left with the word of God, which points to Jesus and reveals Jesus, but we have been given the Holy Spirit to guide us in our understanding and in our speaking. The Emmaus experience is instructive in this way. We may worry that we have to have some kind of mind-boggling experience a laser light show with smoke machines. We may worry that we have to have some kind of super colossal 3D motion picture in order for us to talk about Jesus. But all we really need is the context of companionship. All we really need is the context of fellowship. All we really need is to be with people. This Emmaus experience is instructive in this way. We may worry that we have to disprove other arguments 
that we may have to persuade people that their salvation is dependent upon our powers and our gifts and our skills. But what we see here is that Jesus is the one who reveals himself in Scripture and the breaking of bread. Yes, we have a part to play. Yes, God uses us to point to Jesus, to proclaim Jesus. But in the end, a person's salvation is dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit within that person to see the risen Jesus in Scripture, to see the risen Jesus in the breaking of bread. So that does not negate our responsibility to proclaim, but it does give us courage and strength to proclaim, remembering that it's about God and not about us. This Emmaus experience is instructive for us as Emmanuel Anglican Church as we seek to be a church glorifying God by blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom. It reveals the content and the context for pointing towards Jesus. The content is scripture. The context is the breaking of bread, fellowship, and sacrament. The risen Jesus is found in Scripture in the breaking of bread. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.